live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. On this channel, we are sophisticated worldly people, and as such, it takes a lot to impress us. Oh my God, that cloud looks like a dog. Are you, are you seeing this? This is the Press Box. Being out there against the Nets, I realized that basketball is an impossible sport played by giants and gods. With Grainy and Bischoff. Tweet it, talk it, put it in your pocket. I've made a flimsy take and I'm proud of it. On ESPN Las Vegas. Shout out to a simpler time in America when all of us were captivated by the California Raisins. <laughs> we always get that last line in there. I don't know what the hell. I don't on. either. That's that's a line from one of our other intros. <laughs> How so, does the guy get on there? So we're gonna we're gonna have to do a little editing Danny. on that one. Get the cowboy hat on this morning. I do. I just got it in the mail last night. Really? Yeah, it's a new one because I bought a hat probably about a month ago online and it came in and it fit super awkward and the logo was like on the top of the head because of how the hat <laughs> Did you fit. buy it from china no no i i bought it from uh one of the online stores and there's I, only one online store in the united states it's fanatics yeah i thought you'd be a commander's fan no no, no a lot of people think that because they know that i'm from virginia but because i grew up in that area and my entire family was giants fans I wanted to stay away Be from different. both of those. Yeah, but you're a Nationals fan. I am. I'm DC you're for a Capitals. E- fan. I'm DC for everything except for football. Yeah, it's a good yeah. life choice. I made the choice when I was like ten or eleven. Nobody wants to. It's a good life choice. When Quincy Carter was well, it's definitely the turned out to be. Yes, it's a good life choice. Nobody yeah. wants to be a Commanders fan. No, That's they don't. Nightmare. You could be the next owner of the team, though. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah, with all your betting degenerate. You can just rack up enough funds to buy that. Damn he bets thing. on the Rams to score seven <laughs> touchdowns. Hey, I also bet against the Commanders, though. <laughs> the first bite. <laughs> Off to a roaring start. Did the Golden Knights prove they aren't cup uh, contenders last night? Played a good team finally. What happened? They got a lot smoked. of penalties. They, they got, got smoked they got, last night. Three two should have been like five twos. They got, so two. if you take uh, just five on five stats from last night, Calgary expected goals two point three, Golden Knights zero point nine six. Shot attempts were forty eight to twenty seven. High danger chances were ten to three, and that's just at five on five. That's if you eliminate all. Special teams, Calgary dominated. And then when you look at the special teams, the Golden Knights committed six penalties in the second period. Six of them. Calgary ended up scoring uh, twice. Uh, The Golden Knights actually had a 2-0 lead in this game. And I, I think that might be the biggest sign that the Golden Knights are a step below Calgary. Because that second period, that was not six calls that were, oh, that's the wrong call, or oh, the refs blew it, right? That was six penalties because the Golden Knights couldn't play with Calgary. That was they couldn't six handle pe- their pressure. Calgary was better than Great. Vegas, dominated, and the only thing the Golden Knights could do to prevent goal-scoring opportunities yeah, was to commit a penalty. And so you have a game where, yes, the Golden Knights took a 2 nothing lead. Yes, the Golden Knights ended up losing three to two, but across the board, every single stat outside of that three to two final score suggests Calgary was much dominant better than the Golden Knights last night. 
And that is probably the main takeaway from this game that the Golden Knights open the year with the LA Kings, the Chicago Blackhawks and the Seattle Kraken, right? Maybe a playoff contender and then two bad teams. And they looked good in those games, which is not going to take that away from them. Hope they would. You play the teams on your schedule, but this was the first, this was the first game against a team that you could say, yeah, they could win the Stanley cup. Yeah. And the Golden Knights played horribly in this game, got absolutely dominated by Calgary. And we, we set it up yesterday. It's game four of 82, right? You're going to play poorly throughout the season. They'll play poorly against bad teams at some point this year, but it definitely feels like the question that I asked yesterday, are the golden Knights playoff contenders or are they cup contenders? Well, it, if you watch last night, they're playoff contenders. It feels very much like this is a team fighting for a playoff spot and not a team that actually is going to be fighting for the Stanley Cup. How does how do you go through a whole game? And I know a lot of it had to do with they were on the bench a lot because of the PK and you're trying to kill all those penalties. But Stone and Eichel have no shots. That's impressive. You can no you shots have to on try hard not two. to have, especially Eichel. As much as Eichel's been shooting, I mean, that that's almost impossible. I think... Especially on the Eichel end. So you have the second period, which is just an onslaught where the Golden Knights can't do anything but commit penalties. That, to me, is the biggest sort of example of what happened last night and why the Golden Knights are in some trouble if you think they are competing for a Stanley Cup. But for Stone and Eichel to effectively be useless in that game, that's a big problem because... Neither one has a shot on goal. If you take the Mark Stone line, him, Chandler Stevenson, Brett Howden, their Corsi last night was 29%. Their expected goals was 22%. The three of us could do that. Right. Like, Stone didn't have a shot on goal. The three, I think Brett Howden had the, that line's one shot on goal. And then you throw in, oh, Jack Eichel also wasn't any good. Wasn't quite as bad as the Stone line, but also no impact. And if you go back and, uh, which goal was it? Was it Calgary's third goal? Alec Martinez and Alex Trangelo, where they came from behind the net, yeah, are yeah. just standing in front of the crease, right. and Backlund just skates in, yeah. and skates they, don't even, they don't even know he's there. Right. Jack Eichel was supposed to be defending Backlund on that play, and he's just sort of going through the motions in the defensive zone, and Backlund just skates past him and skates in and gets a goal. Like that's not good enough from Jack Eichel defensively. That's not what he's here for, but he's got to be better than that. And if you're not going to be better than that, you've got to do something offensively, and he doesn't have a shot on goal. So the big concern is we've talked a lot about, hey, what's the what's the role of the third and fourth line? Can Bruce Cassidy steal minutes uh, with his third and fourth line against other teams' top lines? Can Bruce Cassidy find a way to get good matchups for Jack Eichel, for Mark Stone, so that they have a little bit more offense? This is the first time they played a good team, and Stone and Eichel were shut down. Completely shut down. Just dominated by Calgary. And this team, like we talk about, are they a playoff contender or a cup contender? They're not a playoff team if good teams can shut down Eichel and Stone. If the top 10 teams in the league can shut down Eichel and Stone, they're not going to the playoffs. They're not going to win very many games against the top 10 teams in the league if that's what Eichel and Stone look like against the best teams. I mean, I was the six penalties were just complete buffoonery. And you're right. And I think they just couldn't handle their pressure. I don't think it was bad calls. And I don't think it was them. Yeah, I don't th- I think it was more. I don't think it was on Calgary. I think it was more on the Knights just not handling right. pressure at all. You could, 
sure you can nitpick some of the calls, but I don't think uh, yeah. But like none of the players on the ice were that upset about it. Like they weren't complaining about the calls. No, they skated over to the box. Yeah. Riley Smith in the intermission between second and third was like, we got to stay out of the box. It wasn't mm-hmm. like, ah, they're calling they're, soft yeah, stuff. They're messing with us. I don't, Cassidy after the game didn't say anything about, ah, those are some soft penalties. Like everyone in Vegas was like, yeah, we committed six penalties right. in the second period and they called all of them. So that's, it's one of the, like, it's one of the funniest periods in Golden Knights history where you commit six individual penalties. Like, that's funny. Like, that's just as bad as it gets for you as far as a penalty committing uh, team. But it's one of the funniest periods they've ever had. Now, on the plus side, Logan Thompson. He's the best player on the team. And if Logan Thompson's going to be that good, they might actually have something. Here's some. So he faced 40 shots, allowed three goals. But Calgary in that game, all situations, five on five, power play, everything, had expected goals of 5.23. Right, they should have scored five plus goals right. in that game, and Logan Thompson held them to three. Uh, two of which were when his on power plays because his team committed six power for penalties in one period. He made two incredible saves, one good glove save uh, coming across the crease in the first period, another good one in the third period, and then like even if you look at the goals they allowed, one of them. We talked about where Martinez and Petrangelo and Eichel are just sort of non-existent. But one of the first two goals, Alec Martinez Martinez unintentionally hits it with a stick like 10 feet in the air and bats it in past Logan Thompson. You're not really going to be able to do anything about that. Like Logan Thompson was really good last night and like he deserved better play in front of him. Absolutely. But like if you're looking for a positive thing, that that's it that we still haven't seen bad Logan Thompson this year and against one of the best teams in the league and against or in a game where your team's getting dominated, he was great. I mean, he gave them a chance to win and that's what you want out of Logan Thompson. If they get that, they're going to have a top 20 or better goalie this year making 700 and whatever it is, $50,000. I think I heard and saw that he made a nice save in the first period. <laughs> he made one in the third period too. Yeah. Well, the first period was uh, obviously very well, good. I here, saw that. On Twitter. Here was the problem. The first, the save in the first period, Everybody could talk about it. It was great because they didn't give up a goal right afterwards. The save he made in the third period was also great, but they gave up a goal like 45 seconds later because Petrangelo, Martinez, and Eichel stopped playing defense. And you can't really be like, ah, what a great save when 45 seconds later, there's a goal in the back of the net. Yeah. Like, I don't even know if they showed a replay of it because it was like, ah, they gave up a goal. So that's more important than the great save. But that's the optimistic part about the Golden Knights is what Logan Thompson was able to do last night. And what he's done so far. Right. And if if this continues, they're going to have a very good goalie not making much money at all. Right. And they're going to have a chance to win games. Because the other key here, the Golden Knights played terribly, but because hockey is dumb, they had a legitimate chance to win that game. Mm-hmm. Right? I mean, obviously, you're, you're, up, up, well. you're up to nothing. But like even after that, going into the third period, they only gave up one goal because Thompson was so good. They only gave up one goal in that third period, lose three to two. You know, they make one or two more plays in the third period, and they're at they're least probably getting tied a point. and got a point out of it. Yeah, and we'd be sitting here talking. We'd still be talking about how they we'd got still, dominated. We'd still today. be talking about how stats wise it wasn't close. Right, but it'd be a slightly different conversation about hey, they got something in Calgary when they were clearly the Not inferior team. team, and that's an important thing to do in the regular season. When you're given the opportunity to steal a point or two in a game where you're clearly the inferior team, 
you need to take advantage of those. They didn't last night. Logan Thompson was great. They had the lead and they decided to take six penalties in one period and not really register a shot on goal from their best players. And that's the thing you talk about making one or two plays. Stoner Eichel make a single play the entire game. Like that's it. One of those two guys makes one single good play and we're, they might get a point hell or two in that game. And it's a different conversation, but I honestly believe what we saw last night overreaction to one game, four games in their playoff contender, not a cup contender. Like, I think that was, that's about as black and white as we could have seen that this well, team the is, first goal. Did you see the first goal where Markstrom just missed carry a shot? Oh, it wasn't, yes. I mean, that was, I mean, that was a fastball inside that he just, you <laughs> yes. know, or fastball outside that he just kind of whiffed on. Do you think his pitch com told him the wrong pitch was coming? That was so not, he, he got crossed up. Yeah. He got crossed up there. So it was 2-0, but if he makes any kind of play, right. it's 1-0. I mean, it's right at him. That a was pretty that was standard whole, terrible. save yeah. that should have been made. by. And again, a shot from William K. It's not even like, ah, one of yeah, the best Geico. players on the team just ripped a great shot. It was right. just William Carrier okay. putting something on net. And Markstrom was just like, ah, my glove doesn't work today, guys. All right, coming up next, we'll jump into some Raiders because they could be trading some of their fourth-year players. Pressure off the edge, into the pocket, lobs one downfield for Adams, at the goal line, over his shoulder, touchdown! Derek Carr racing forward on a beautiful ball for 48 yards. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. Later in the show, we're going to have tickets to give away to go see the Golden Knights play the Winnipeg Jets tomorrow. Uh, But... We had a uh, report from Jeremy Fowler of ESPN yesterday. A few players to watch are a pair of 2019 first-rounders, Cleveland Furl and Jonathan Abram. I'm told Vegas has had talks with teams on both players in recent months with Abram's name circulating a lot. So, Raiders could potentially trade Jonathan Abram and Cleveland Furl. Uh, both players are in the final year of their rookie deal Uh, Their fifth-year options were declined by the Raiders earlier in the offseason. What would the Raiders get for either one of these guys? I was going to say they have no leverage because you'd have to pick. I don't think they have any leverage because you'd have to trade for them. And what, are you going to sign those guys after the the season and give them as much money as they'd be up for? So late-round pick? Would you even give up a late-round pick for either of those guys? If you need a player badly, maybe. You need them badly. Yeah, and if you need Abram or Furl badly, you're probably not in a great spot. (laughs) So (laughs) You're probably not a contender. Right. So trading those two guys, you're exactly right. Like, if you're trading Abram and Furl, if you're trading for them, you're looking at it as though you're getting half a season of Jonathan right. Abram or half a season in Cleveland Furl. And if you want to keep them beyond that, that's up to you in the off season and whether you want to give them the money. But as far as what you're trading to the Raiders, you're giving up an asset to get half a season of Abram or half or a season Furl. of Furl. And I, I can't imagine that's worth more no. than a sixth round pick. That might if not, that. that might not even be worth a pick on its own. That might simply be worth, Hey, We'll take him off your hands. We'll give you a sixth, and you send us a seventh with right, Jonathan, with Jonathan Abram, Abram. Right? Like, we're we're not losing a pick. We're just going to move back around. So, would the Raiders be better off simply keeping think, Abram and Furl? Yeah, because who... I'm trying to think, and especially with Chandler Jones at this point, who, who, who replaces these guys if you move them? Malcolm Kuntz is the next best I mean, edge rusher on the team. Abram is, I don't know, they're playing what Deron Harmon quite a yeah. bit. So I guess, but yeah, it's, I think both of these players provide 
more value to this team. Than moving them at this right. point for a six-round pick. If somebody calls you up and says, we're going to give you a fourth for Cleveland Furl. Then you See move you them. later, Cleveland Furl. You yeah. got a fourth-round exactly. pick. But if we're talking about a sixth or a seventh or even just a six-seven pick swap and not even adding an extra pick, yeah. keep April. What's keep the point? Pearl. Right. Like, keep these guys on the team and use them. I mean, hell, you don't even have to use them a whole lot, but that's still going to be worth more than a sixth and a seventh-round pick because the, whoever you get a sixth and seventh-round pick, those guys aren't going to make the roster next season anyway. So I just have a hard time believing the Raiders would make that trade because I don't know what value... And you kept him stuck with Abram to this point anyway. That and that to I mean, me is, you, so now you're going to move him for a sixth round pick, right? And that to me is the the big thing. So there was a, an anonymous executive that said the Raiders are trying to start new with players who fit their personality. They've been pretty aggressive in that, and they have been. They've cleaned out a lot of the players that uh, John Gruden had here, right? Even it, even guys like Kenyon Drake, they had to take an Alex Otherwood. They had to right. take a dead cap hit to keep those guys or to get rid of those to guys. Get rid of them, and they did it anyways. If they were aggressive in terms of getting rid of guys and they felt the same way about Abram, I don't think he'd be on the team. They would have, they would have gotten rid of him in the offseason as well. To me, it doesn't make sense to get rid of Abram now as opposed to in April, May, June or something like that. But the one detail in Jeremy Fowler's report, both they've had talks with teams on both players in recent months. When he says okay, months. So that's training camp. So you and think that's what low. that means? September, October, which would be training camp. Well, August would be training camp, wouldn't it? Does it mean August? Months could Months. just be September and October. But I took that to mean they've been talking about it since the offseason. Yes. Which, to go back to the compensation, would imply they're not getting a very good offer right. on Jonathan. Because I, listen, they didn't have like a ready-to-go replacement, but I believe Furl or Abram, if they had gotten a fourth-round pick offer in August. They would have moved him and found somebody. Right. Or they would have elevated someone on the uh, that they already had. So that, to me, implies nobody's actually offering anything decent for these guys, which takes you back to why would you take a sixth or a seventh. Um, but here's here's the interesting part. Cleveland Furl, he's actually one of the five highest-graded players uh, by pro football focus on this Raiders defense hasn't played a lot of snaps, but he's actually been better than most guys when he's out there. He's probably going to contribute to the Raiders winning a lot more. Abram, eh, we'll see, but I just can't imagine the Raiders making this trade and thinking it helps them because here's the other part of this. Abram and Furl, neither one's like a star player, right? Abram's a starter, but neither one's like a star player. It's not like you're looking at these two guys and saying, oh, the season hinges on uh, Abram and Furl. Furl. But let's say they made a trade right now, that they traded one or both of these guys right now. Do you think that would be saying, hey, we're giving up on the playoffs this year. We're trying to accumulate assets for next season? I'm not so sure they're important enough for that. And, and... Like you said, what are the assets they're they're getting back? Yeah, I mean a sixth or a seventh. I don't I don't know if they're as important to say if they're giving up on now. We're giving up on the playoffs now. They gave up on some high names and they won't do that yet. Maybe they're going to say that. I don't think they've given up on the playoffs to begin with. No, but I, I would just be curious what like players would think if they saw that. Oh, they traded they away guys. Like take Abram, who's a starter. Granted, he's not very good, but he's a starter. If they traded away a starting safety for let's just say a fifth round pick, they actually get a decent pick back. They get a fifth-round pick. They trade him for Abram. If you're a Raiders player, you're sitting at one and four, and your front office just traded a starter for a pick in the 2023 draft, 
are you looking at that saying, huh, they don't really think we're coming back from one and four, do they? I don't know. Not if it's Jonathan Abram. <laughs> They're saying, oh, they believe in John us John Harmon. <laughs> They're finally going to play one of the good <laughs> players. Maybe So maybe it would work well for them if they did that. So that's the report. Oh, let me ask you this. Trade deadline in the NFL is not usually as big of a deal as it is in no, you know, and baseball other sports, or basketball. Not hell, even hockey. Should the Raiders be looking to add anybody? I mean, shouldn't they be scouring the trade market just to see what's out there? I mean, yes. I mean, they should be at least wanting to look and to see if someone can come and help improve them. But again, at that point, if you're going to a worse team to look for someone, I don't know if I'd be overpaying for guys. Right. Which is, if I'm a worse team, I'm like, all right, you need this guy and you still think you can get to the playoffs, so I'm going to charge you too much. I and And... I'm curious what, if they were to go out and try to trade for somebody, what position would they be looking for? Because they've been pretty stubborn about the offensive line. They did make one trade. Um, the guy from New England, who I can't remember his name. Uh, they did make one trade for an offensive lineman, but it was a sixth, seventh round pick swap. They didn't give up anything good. Outside of that, they've been pretty stubborn about this offensive line and not adding to right. it. So I'd be surprised if they traded for an offensive lineman. At in this season? point? Yeah, unless it was a similar trade where, hey, we're going to give up a seventh rounder for somebody that might can beat out Alex Bars or something like right. that. Outside of that, you know, you're not, you're probably not trading for a receiver, quarterback, running back, tight end. Defensively, you're not trading for an edge rusher. A linebacker wouldn't be that impactful. Would they trade for somebody in would the secondary? Would they trade for a corner? How long is Nate Hobbs Nate out? Hobbs that might out be... He's IR minimum four weeks, yeah, if, four games. If they if they think he's going to be out longer than that, maybe that would make sense because we talked about it yesterday. You're talking about Anthony Averett or Sam Webb having to play significant right. snaps at corner. That's the only spot. Like they're, The way they constructed this roster and the way they've handled the offensive line, they have holes, but I just don't know that they're going to fill, that they, they would or would even be smart to try to fill some by trading for a player right yeah. now. So... I think the roster kind of is what it is, and I think they should just keep Abram and Furl unless they actually get a you know fourth round pick offer. And they're not getting that because I right. think if they would have gotten that, it would have already been done. Right, and I can't imagine a team, a contender who would have injuries, would look at it and say, "Ah, oh, we've got to have Cleveland Furl. Right. He's going to come fill or the John gap Abram. and help us." Right, like they might say, "Oh, we we would like to have him, and we will give you our sixth round pick for him." but they're not going to be like, ah, oh, we got to have them. Here's our fourth. The Chiefs will not be trading for John Abram. <laughs> what if they're the team that knows how to use them? They're like, we know how to beat them, but we also know how to use them. He just goes on to be an all-pro safety with the Chiefs. All right, coming up next, Lindsey Brown joins the show. And now the attempt to clear his fan down, a shot, kick save, another try, swing and a miss, a third try is blocked. Now a fourth chance blocked again under a fallen McNabb. He's trying to get to his knees. And now the puck left side. Oh, a great glove save. Thompson dome to his right. Stop to Foley. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff. Featuring Lindsey Brown. Good morning, Lindsey. Hello. Good morning, gentlemen. How are we? Are you walking outside right now? Hell to the, yeah. I got a big day at the at the studio, and so I got to make sure I get some of this energy out because it's just <laughs> coursing through the veins this morning. The power walk. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, Ed wasn't here on Monday. Can you uh, please inform him how many hours you were on your phone on Sunday? Oh, God. Um, a good round 13-ish, Ed. Uh, I don't know if you have any suggestions <laughs> because I've tried to cut back the last couple of days, and I have been successful, but I, I'm still pretty disappointed in what, myself. What entailed 13 hours? What were you doing? 
Well, I was playing a game for a little bit. It's called Outlanders. It's kind of like The Sims, but simpler. And then, you know, just like on the Twitter, on the TikTok, getting stuck down the algorithm. Like, it's just, it just takes your life away, guys. And I'm really trying to make a change. The talk. You're killing me. The talk. Oh, boy. The All tick, right. the talk. Are you, are you limiting? Are you putting in time limits on TikTok? Like actually putting it into your phone so it shuts the app off? Well, I've had a time limit implemented for quite some time, but I have most uh, often chosen to just say, uh, ignore the limit for today. Ignore the limit for today. But yesterday, <laughs> I exercised some self-control, and when it popped up on my phone, like, you reached your limit for TikTok today, I was like, you know what? I have. We shall leave that until tomorrow. That next video was going to be funny, though. It's going to be the best TikTok you'd ever seen. Who knows what could have it, it inspired. Like, that could have been my big creative break. Like, you never know, right? All right. Did you watch? Give us an overreaction to game four of the season. Did you watch Calgary and Vegas last night and think, wow, Calgary is much better than the Golden Knights? Well, I watched highlights because I don't got cable. And I was watching the Oilers game and watching them. But what I did notice is that the net front battles were a little bit of a problem. Like the Golden Knights were in there mixing it up, but they weren't able to get the body positioning to be, you know, in that position to clear the puck or at least make a play and tie up somebody in front. And it just, Calgary was playing bully ball a little bit better. So they were free and clear to whack away at, at some rebounds. And uh, Logan Thompson did his absolute best. Like he, he played unbelievable last night. I'm so impressed with him. Six penalties in the second. That'll do it. <laughs> Can you imagine how, like, oh, sorry, Shaler Stevenson, we got to have you go back out for another. Oh, sorry, Riley Smith, we got to have you go out for another. It just scrambles your line so much and puts so much pressure on your defensive zone. I mean, I just think about how long you sit in the crouch as a goalie when that puck is in your zone and how much energy that can take away from you. And so it was kind of surprising that the game remained as close as it was, but as we've talked about in the past, this is kind of, they want to be spending more time in the defensive zone or they're not looking to constantly just try to break out and go on the rush, but that's a much different situation when you're on the PK. They got to clean that up and they can't go over for themselves. All right. Here's some stats for you that I know you're going to love. Um, Mark Stone and Jack Eichel combined for zero shots on goal in that game. Mark Stone's line with Chandler Stevenson and Brett Howden, they had a 29% Corsi and a 22% expected goals. This is the first like true sort of cup contender that the Golden Knights have played. Do you think that will happen frequently against some of the top teams in the NHL where Stone and Eichel are shut down? God, I hope not. Zero shots, that's super messed up. Like that's like the opposite <laughs> of what you want. But that's just sometimes how it goes. Like I'm less concerned about the Mark Stone lack of shots, but the Jack Eichel for sure, because you don't just want him firing on the net, but you want him taking ice. You want him taking up space. And, and driving that net and therefore driving play. And so I think that they just got into a really good hockey game last night that they're on the road with a, and a team that uh, plays a pretty hard-nosed style themselves in Calgary and, and kind of honor of their coach, Daryl Sutter. And, you know, they didn't get blown out. And so, that's, like I said a few days ago, you just want to see where the measuring stick is because ultimately hockey, ho hockey should be about a 50-50 proposition if you're working hard and playing it right. So – what takeaway? I mean, you talked about in front of the net, and they didn't they didn't do the job there uh, defensively. But did you take away that Calgary was that much better five on five? I mean, did you? I know it was three two, but what else takeaways did you walk away and say, uh oh, that might be a big problem? I mean, it's not a huge problem at all. I, I like I said, I really think that it was just one of those games where ultimately it's going to come down to a play. Like we talk about it in football or 
when I was in on Monday, you know, what's Buffalo, Kansas City going to be like in the playoffs? Oh, it's going to come down to the fourth quarter in a single possession. And so I, I really think that Calgary is one of those teams that's going to play the Golden Knights really well. And it's going to be a lot different than what they've been able to do these last few years because they just have changed the makeup of their team. Like, you want to talk about a rush-heavy offense, that's what they were last year. And now they're just a lot more responsible and a lot more dedicated to that. But, I mean, Ed, when you called me last night and then you mentioned the save, I was like, I haven't seen it. I saw the save. Like, oh that's the only thing that oh I could Oh, boy. Oh, Logan boy. Thompson, guys, oh, oh boy. is playing oh. like he's been in the league for five seasons, guys. Like, this, he doesn't get on. I haven't seen him get untethered once, and that's my biggest worry with him because he's so explosive. But when you saw that play break down in front of him on that Toffoli back door, like he's not gapping out too far. He's not overcommitting. He's just waiting patiently. And so that's what enables him to make that save because he doesn't get too far outside of himself, outside of his crease, and uh, ultimately just staying within. Like that's. That's everything in the goaltending position. Everybody can make a glove save. Everybody can make a good blocker save. Unless you're Mark Andre Fleury right now, but it's about what's going on <laughs> upstairs. All right, you're the goalie of a team that allows 40 shots on goal, that takes six penalties in one period, and gets run over for the most part of the game. Are you actually angry at your teammates for playing so poorly, or do you walk away from that saying, "You know what? I was the best player on this team today, so I'm happy with myself." Well, you just look at it. Well, I had to save your ass today, so you guys better save my ass tomorrow. Like, that's just, it's a give-and-take uh, thing when it comes to hockey, and goalie's kind of on its own pedestal and in their own game as you, you are dealing with the consequences of what people are putting out in front of you. But, uh, you know, I thought it was interesting that they scored two goals on Jakob Markstrom from long range, but that just showed you that they weren't getting home, that they weren't driving it deep, and so – Ultimately, you just hope that uh, they can all get it together. You can implement your systems a little bit better for your next opponent, and uh, they should be able to do that against the Jets on Thursday. Can you say his name again? I like that. Jakob? Jakob Markstrom. Well, I, I knew his name, but I'm a huge fan of his, except for his goalie number. The fact that he wears 25 is extremely disturbing. The carry goal wait, was just pathetic in wait, a way for Jakob. Hold on. I don't care about him missing the glove save. What's wrong with number 25 for a goalie? It, it's not a goalie number. It's it's not really a forward number. It's just tw- there's just certain numbers that I don't understand. There's like a bad energy with them, and 25 is one of them. It's only 10 away from the greatest number in sports. I don't know why he stopped short. Okay, hold on, hold on. 35 is okay, <laughs> but 25 has bad energy. 35 They're is the more than number. okay, Tyler. Like 35 is the pinnacle of existence. 25 is some discount thing that you got at the candy. They're the same number. So, you just take the you just take one bar of the two. They're not the same number. They're and ten, put it on the other side, and it's a guy. three. So should we guess as to what number you were in college? Yeah, thirty-five. Yeah. Oh, guess know. which one I was. It's I part know. of the brand, Ed. Come I know. On. I know. I, it was an obvious. For three days. It was on. obvious. It was what, obvious. What other numbers are not acceptable for goalies? Are you okay with single digits? I really don't like forty. I don't like thirty-seven. <laughs> what? I don't like. <laughs> 30, 31 has always kind of bothered me. I don't know why, because that's more of a traditional goalie number. But, like, you're supposed to be in the 30s. Like, even the 29, I'm like, all right, Marc-Andre, we'll grandfather you in and all the ins- inspiration you've done for, like, Jake Ottinger because he's the same number as he is. Like, it's just there are certain ways to look in the goalie pads. Like, yeah, the fact that I'm okay with Andre Vasilevsky at 88 surprises me, gentlemen. But okay. I've come to love it. All right. All right. Somebody is playing goalie and they have the number one on their back. Is that okay? 
I, I wore number one all the way through high school, but it's just, it's not crowded enough on the back. It just looks better with the jersey with two with two big numbers instead of one. So okay, what we've gotten so far is that it has to be in the 30s, but you don't like 31 or 37. So you've narrowed it down to what eight possible numbers a goalie can wear. Kind of. I'm, I'm the jury's still out on 36, but Logan Thompson is okay. changing that. For what? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I'll give you. I usually give you my bad goalie takes. I think you've. Uh, uh, superseded all my bad goalie takes with this weird number nonsense, but I have a pro goalie take. Uh, one of the goals that was scored last night, Alec Martinez batted it into his own net. Uh, I believe yes. hockey needs to adopt own goals, like in soccer. If there's an own goal, they don't credit it to some offensive player. It just counts as an own goal against the defender that put it in. Hockey needs to start crediting guys with own goals and it should not count against a goalie save percentage when he allows an own goal. False. <laughs> what do you mean false? false. Somebody, Alec Martinez batted it. Somebody has to send the puck to the net. Like, some, like somebody has to give that effort. Sometimes when things get really wonky, it can be your own guy. But, like, then you're going to be messing with all the stats. Just think of how many how many superstars that probably got gift goals like that. Like, what are you going to do to Shameless Stevenson? He scores off his ass about every four games. Like, that's fine. If, if you score with your body part for your team, that's, that's fine. I'm just saying if you bat it into your own net. It's an extension of your body, though. No, no, but Martinez put it into his own, own net. net. He scored yeah, for know, the Flames. Thought. That should it not, happens. there should not, I don't even know who got credit with the goal. Nobody for the Flames should get credit for that goal. It should go down as OG Alec Martinez. I know this is something that we struggle with, with the chaos that is hockey, the the undefinable, the momentum that's up in the air. Oh, I know this bothers geez. you guys so oh, no. much. Oh, no, but she mentioned the M word. you got to give people credit. No, you did. Yes. Whoever. Give yes, them credit do. when they do because something it, well. Oh, my God. I'm just, we have a lot of work to do, Tyler. We have a lot of work to was, do on the psyche and, and how you approach this position. Was the M word apparent at all as they got killed last night? Yeah, I mean, the fact that you, it's not going to come to you every time. Like, not all momentum pushes are going to be acted upon. Like, it's more about the belief. It's like, once that puck goes on your stick after LT makes that big save, you're like, oh, what a save for him. I'm going to go down and score. Like, I'm going to go do this. But, and, but if your team isn't in that good mindset, they're running around in the PK the whole time, it's not exactly going to be, you know, guns blazing for trying to get us back on the board or at least in a positive direction. you got to go step-by-step, zone-by-zone. Get out of here, Lindsay. Yeah. We appreciate it. Nice walking. We'll see you in a couple hours. <laughs> nice walking. Thank you. <laughs> She's Lindsay Brown walking around her neighborhood or something like that, talking about jersey numbers on goalies. You can only have... She's not. She, it's so gotta she's be, okay, thirty-five, but not thirty-seven. Right. It's got to be in the thirties. She said no to thirty-one, no to thirty-seven, 37 and, and thirty-six she, is on the on yeah. the shelf. So you have to be thirty-two, three, four, five, eight, eight or nine. Or nine. That's it. Those are the only options apparently for goalie numbers. Coming up next, the NBA season is underway. James got a fire. He does. All balance three is in the air. Oh man, are you kidding me? It's goodbye. James Hart, it might have hit one of the Celtics banners, and it pours through the nylon. What a shot by Hart. Smart. Swings it left wing. Open Jalen three. He likes it. He got it. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios, this is the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff. The NBA season got underway last night. The 
Lakers got blown out by the Warriors, 123-109. Couple of quotes for you. First, this is from Russell Westbrook, who hurt his hamstring in the final preseason game of the year. He still ended up playing in the regular season, still started last night. Uh, But he said about hurting his hamstring, I've been doing the same thing for 14 years straight. Honestly, I didn't even know what to do pregame. Being honest, I was trying to figure out how to stay warm and loose. That's something I just wasn't accustomed to because he came off the bench in the last preseason game as opposed to starting. 14 years and you don't know how to stay warm? (laughs) This guy, I'm telling you, Tyler, I was watching some of it last night, and like I told you uh, during the break, they had guys on the floor I I had never heard of. This is not a good team at all. Those guys should be playing instead of Russell Westbrook. They they know how Uh, to keep their hamstring warm. This, this is not a good team. So the Lakers shot 10 of 40 from three last night. And LeBron, after the game, said, we're getting great looks, but it could also be teams giving us great looks. To be completely honest, we're not a team constructed of great <laughs> shooting. It's not like we're sitting here with a lot of lasers on our team. <laughs> after one they've game. They've played once. <laughs> they, they've played one game, and he's already telling us we can't shoot. Okay. LeBron James and Anthony Davis as a duo could be one of the best duos in the NBA. Anybody who has watched the NBA for the last five years, not even that long, could tell you that if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis, the number one thing you need to have with them on your roster is guys that can shoot shoot. the three. Yeah, That's been the case with LeBron James basically his entire career. Give him guys that can shoot. Throw in Anthony Davis, and now you've got two really good players, and if you surround them with three guys that can shoot, you're probably going to be good on offense. For the Lakers, for the second straight year, to not have a roster with shooting is hilariously incompetent and... It took one whole game for LeBron to be like, yeah, this isn't going to work. He's yeah. like, we got great looks, but I think they were giving them to us Ten because of we can't shoot. And how is it possible that they didn't know this? I don't know if it's Darvin Ham. I don't know if it's Plink. I don't know who's <sighs> who's who's running this stuff. But how, especially Ham coming over, how did he not get this and say, hey, give, give me a couple guys who can make a three? It would be nice, you'd think. Uh, Lonnie Walker, the fourth. <sighs> <laughs> He was 0 for 3. Anthony Davis was 0 for 3. Pat Beverly was 1 for 5. Austin Reeves was 0 for 2. Uh, LeBron was 3 for 10, which is actually a better percentage than the rest of his teammates, but still not good. Uh, Yeah, that's your three-point shooting for the Lakers last night. Um, Pretty brutal. Kendrick Nunn was the only one who shot well, 3 for 6. Kendrick Nunn. I think he went to Providence. Um, It's just, it's, it's a bad, it's a very poorly constructed roster that is to make the postseason. They're going to have to be carried by LeBron and Anthony Davis yes. being very good to make the postseason. Not to be contenders. That means Anthony Davis has to stay healthy. He went That's down it. a few times last night. I didn't think he was getting up. He's good, though. Yeah. Like, they got blown really out. Good. I think they were. he might not have had the most efficient night, but he's good. Like, if that guy just stays healthy. He's got to stay healthy. That's the problem with him. They're good. Like, he's good. He's going to be fun to watch. But that team's probably a disaster this year. They're probably, like, in the play-in game. Again. Again. Like, the 7, 8, 9 right. seed, whatever. And maybe they win that and they get to play the one or the two seed and they're done in the first round, most likely. Um, 
The other game, the Celtics ended up beating the 76ers. Uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown both had 35 points last night. But here was the interesting part to me. Joel Embiid uh, only shot 9 of 18, 50% from the floor. But the Sixers got outscored by 13 when he was on the floor. Boston was playing without Rob Williams, who is one of the primary defenders for Joel Embiid when the Celtics and the 76ers play. So Embiid, conceivably, should have been able to have a great night. And he didn't in the first game of the season. And when you're looking sort of season long, this is a potential 1-2 seed in the East situation. This is a potential Eastern Conference Finals matchup. The, The Sixers, to knock off the Celtics are going to have to be awesome when Embiid's on the floor, and especially when Rob Williams is not out there. And they weren't last Minus night. Minus 13? Yeah. Like, it's... You would expect when Embiid's on the floor, the Sixers are going to outscore their exactly. opponents, regardless of who's defending him. But especially when Boston's down Rob Williams.